Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today's Sunday school began, and any Sunday school child can tell you the simple truth. I am saved because Jesus died on the cross, and he forgives me of my sin. That is the gospel. It is simple. It is pure. It is only a gift. There are no requirements in the gospel on our part. Jesus has done it all for us. He alone went to the cross and paid for our sins, and he replaces our sin with his perfect righteousness, and so we appear perfect and holy before God, having our sin removed from us as far as the east is from the west, and having the righteousness of Christ given to us. We live in this forgiveness, and with this forgiveness, we know that salvation belongs to us. But even though we know this so well, we are often tempted to be like those lawyer, that lawyer in today's gospel, a man who knew the word of God. His job was to interpret the scriptures and to understand them. And yet he is trying to justify himself. <clears throat> he does so by asking, who is my neighbor? We do the same. We try to make ourselves look good and pretty free of sin and we try to make ourselves look as innocent as we possibly can to our neighbors. And sometimes we think that by tearing other people down, we feel like we're making ourselves look even more innocent. So if we dig up mud against another person, then we can make that person look as if he's evil and disgusting. And then we can try we might try hard, but it doesn't work ever. We try to make ourselves in the process look perfect and prim. Or we might sport a type of facade, trying to show the world around us, especially all of you who are gathered here, that we have it all well in our lives. We try to give that impression that we've got everything in order, our lives are doing well, and we're hiding the reality that we're hurting. We then hide the reality that we're tormented with temptation. Or we might hide the reality that we're engaging in our pet sins when nobody is looking. We love hearing sermons when the law predominates. We find much joy in hearing the preacher going against the sins of other people. And so when we hear the pastor proclaiming the law, we say, preach it, pastor, condemn those murderers, those fornicators, and, and those despisers of the word. Condemn those people who are not here like those terrorists on 9-11. But, pastor, don't you dare say something that may accuse me. And we love hearing sermons that also seem to be so relevant, so tangible, so fitting, because what we want is a law that'll sound sweet, a law that sounds achievable, 
a law that gives us some guidelines on what we should be doing for the rest of the week. So we say a great sermon is when the pastor says, if you will do this, then you will get that. Or we'll say a great sermon is, pastor said to make me feel good, make someone feel good uh, with my presence throughout the week. Or we'll say, this is a good sermon when the pastor said, pray for X number of people and then go out and tell them that you prayed for them. Or be a good Samaritan by helping someone. But of course, whenever it's convenient and does not require the type of sacrifice that the good Samaritan did in, in this parable. And of course, we are to receive instructions, but we're not to provide false promises like, like, like make someone, or, or if you do this, you will get that, like I said a little bit earlier. We are to be there for our neighbors. We are to support them. We are to help them. But the trouble of what I just described is if that is all the sermon is about, some sort of instruction that is tangible and memorable, and then we walk away feeling that we now have something, the reality is we then use that to think that when we do it, we are now on the path to salvation. We give ourselves the impression that, okay, I've done step one, two, and three. I have now distinguished myself from any other wicked person out there, and now I know that God is going to save me. I did what I was told. That's what the lawyer was looking for as he asked a question, and he knew the answer. He wanted self-affirmation. He wanted an achievable standard that he could follow so that he could prove to the world and to God himself why he, according to what he's done, can get himself into heaven. So he asked, Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's like saying, how can I earn heaven? What can I do to become acceptable in your sight? And a law question then results in a law response. So if you want to be saved by the law, okay, this is what you must do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Okay, that sounds pretty good. The lawyer must have thought he had fulfilled this because he didn't even ask Jesus more about what that meant. But let me tell you, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, you will always listen to him. Those moments where your mind has already drifted this morning, you won't do that if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, you will not commit sins in secret because you know that God sees what you are doing in secret. You will not sin among your friends trying to be like one of your buddies because you love the Lord more than you love your buddies who are trying to sin around you. In fact, you will simply not sin. Not only that, but you will always hear the word of God. You will never miss church for any circumstance. You will go at any length, drive any distance, and sacrifice whatever is possible so that you can hear his divine love, his saving word, as it is proclaimed in its truth and purity every week, and as you receive the Lord's Supper, which, which you will go to a church administering it in according to Christ's institution. You will receive your pastor as a man sent from God to preach his word. You will not dismiss him as just saying his opinion. You'll heed those words of Jesus 
when he instituted the ministry saying, he who hears you hears me and he who rejects you rejects me and he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. You'll never speak evil of God or of his ways and you will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in your mouth as Psalm 34 says. You will pray without ceasing as 1 Thessalonians 5 says. You'll give generously back to the Lord, for the Lord loves a cheerful giver, as 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says. That's what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. You will fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And the second part is that you will love your neighbor as yourself. If you truly love your neighbor, you will not hoard your possessions. You'll not be extravagant with the things that God gives you, but you'll Use those things to help the poor and needy. You'll go the extra mile like the good Samaritan did. You'll never think about personal gain. You won't hold grudges. You won't gossip. You won't speak evil of others. You will not pass up the opportunity to help someone. And you'll never think twice about giving someone the shirt off your back. So if you think about it, you love yourself, right? You love yourself. If you didn't... <clears throat> Excuse me, my voice is trying to go away, I guess, for a moment. That happens. The doctor decided that I have acid reflux, and so sometimes that influences my voice. But anyway, if you think about it, you love your neighbor. If you didn't, you wouldn't feed yourself when you're hungry. If you loved your neighbor as you love yourself, you would ensure that your neighbor is never hungry. After all, you will forgive your neighbor as Christ has forgiven you. That is the law. It's what God teaches. But if you think about it, this law which God expects, Jesus even says you shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. This law is never achievable. The desires of our flesh is to hear attainable law. But it is never that. The, that is nothing but a desire, a, delu a delusion. The law is not attainable. And yet we persistently look for loopholes. We wish to hear achievable guidelines through the law and desire to hear a law that does not condemn. And so we try to justify ourselves by asking the same question as the lawyer, who is my neighbor? And again, any Sunday school child knows this answer. Just as children know the sweet, simple gospel, I am saved because Jesus died for me and he forgives me, so also children know the harsh reality of the law. Who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Your neighbor includes all people that God has placed in your lives. All people that are placed in your lives, from the closest friends and family to the strangers that you might encounter. Love them like that Samaritan in today's parable. Endanger your life and make huge sacrifices of time and money, even to strangers without any thoughts of receiving repayment, not even a thank you. For that is love, to do those things. Now love God and love man. Jesus says, do this and you will live. But who can dare say, I have done it? Who among us has actually loved God and man in that way? I can tell you, your pastor hasn't even done it. So if your pastor hasn't, have you? The reality is none of us 
Jesus' words, do this and you will live, reveals the impossibility of salvation through the law. We cannot earn eternal life. And because we can't do it through the law, we often cry foul to God as if God is foul. But thankfully, when we believe in the true Good Samaritan, the requirement to do this is already done and credited to our behalf. Through faith, God credits you with keeping the law perfectly. This is something important that I want you to go home with, to know that Christ, by virtue of your baptism and adding you to his family, taking your sins away, counts you as having fulfilled the law perfectly. So, what, who is the true Samar good Samaritan? I already told you, he is Christ. He not only endangered his life, like that Samaritan did in this parable, but he willingly went to the cross where he was crucified. He died in your place. He suffered all, sacrificed everything, and gave up his own life all for you. He is like that Samaritan in today's parable. He saw you who were laying there half dead. The scriptures describe us as being dead in our sins and trespasses apart from Christ. So he saw you in your helplessness. He came to you and to your aid, and he saved you before you even asked of it. That is one of the many reasons why we baptize babies, like we baptize Collins today. Because she, being dead in her sins and trespasses, totally helpless, God came to her, bestowing his gifts upon her, adding her to his family, seeing her helpless, and then giving her the faith. For faith is worked by God the Holy Spirit, and God can even work faith in the little ones, as we heard a couple of weeks ago. So Jesus has done that. He saw us totally helpless. He came to us. He tended to our wounds. He gave us his love and his forgiveness. He knew that we deserve death for our many sins, but yet he reconciled us to himself so that we would be counted as a child of God and so that we can join our Lord Christ in the gates of paradise. Jesus truly loves his neighbor as himself, for he epitomizes love. He took on our dirt, our filth, our wounds, our pains, our shame when he went to the cross, and he bore our sins in his body. He buried them all in his grave. He, bore, he rose from the dead, <clears throat> which gives you his righteousness, his holiness, his forgiveness, his blessedness, his love, and his favor. He fulfilled the law on your behalf. What you could not and would not do, Jesus did, and he credits you with keeping the law. Now, the Bible does offer eternal life in two ways. One way is through the law. Keep it perfectly and you will live. But we know that that way is impossible because the scripture has confined all under sin and we have inherited the sin of Adam. So salvation must be found in the other way, which as we heard in our epistle last week, that is the better way, the way of the gospel. It is more glorious. So salvation is found in Jesus Christ, who is the end of the law. Jesus declares that Christians have perfectly observed the law, for in baptism Christians are covered with the very righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus has fulfilled this law, 
Does this mean that you are now off the hook? Do you have to listen to the law at all? Are you totally free from it? Can you ignore it all you want? Well, you are off the hook when it comes to your salvation. That is, there is no requirements when it comes to having, when it comes to coming into God's favor. There are no requirements when it comes to having peace with God. There are no requirements when it comes to being justified, that is, being forgiven. There are no requirements in the gospel. Christ's all-sufficient sacrifice paid for your debt and gave you full and free pardon, which means you are set free. Christ is the end of the law. But when it comes to loving Jesus and listening to him, we are not off the hook. We still do have that third use of the law, which according to our confession states that this law indicates to us in the Ten Commandments what the acceptable will of God is and in what good works, which God has prepared beforehand, we should walk. After all, even in our own baptism, we have died to sin, being joined to the death of Jesus, and we have been raised to newness of life, being joined to the resurrection of Jesus. Good works are necessary, and they are even beneficial. Service to our neighbor is necessary and beneficial, and so we do it. It is good for us to do them and to walk in them. Now, of course, we don't earn salvation through it, but we do it anyway. So don't kid yourselves. Jesus taught the parable of the Good Samaritan in part to teach you to love your neighbor and to put love into action. It is a response of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, a desire to do the very will of God, and God still commands us to do good works and love toward our toward God and toward our neighbor. And so when we see Jesus going to the cross to help others, we say, Lord, help me to help others. When we see Jesus forgiving people, like saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing, we say, Lord, help me forgive others. When we see Jesus following the law, we also say, Lord, help me to fulfill the law. When we see Jesus giving up all to hear the word like he did in the temple, even when he was 12 years old, we say, Lord, help me to gladly hear the word of God and keep it. When we see Jesus giving away everything, uh, everything uh, for others, we say to him, Lord, help me be willing to give away from my possessions so that I can help my neighbor in need. And in this, we are saying, Lord, you love me unconditionally. Help me also love my neighbor. Fulfilling these requirements are not to gain salvation or to try to get God to be satisfied with us, for he is already satisfied with us through Christ, who made perfect satisfaction for our sins by his sacrificial payment on the cross. This glorious gospel belongs to you. It is the way of salvation. Jesus served as your mediator by going to the cross and reconciling you to your Father in heaven and by granting you peace with God. You are forgiven. You are justified. You are justified by his blood. Jesus took away your sins through his death on the cross. He lives to grant you the gift of life. And because he lives, you shall too. Jesus said, do this and you will live. It is true. Christ has already done, for, done it for you. He credits you with having kept the law. And so you too, in faith, shall live. Thanks be to God.
Amen. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.